Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. And you know what? It's still the Christmas season. Yes, that's right. I know Epiphany we celebrate on Sunday, the celebration of the Epiphany, the manifestation of the Lord God here on earth in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Today, I'm going to talk about some things manifesting in our own lives, something God showing up and what happens in our lives when that happens. You'll be surprised. I'll be back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Good morning. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of your Son, Emmanuel, God with us, coming to live in our midst. And Lord, we ask that you would bless us today, that your light would shine forth into the darkness that is part of our lives. We do love you, Lord. We ask you to bless us in a whole new way. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So at the beginning of this new year, I continue to encourage folks to reflect on, like, what's your word, right? How might the Lord use a word, a theme, a, um, a scripture to be a way of speaking to you about what he is intending to do in your life getting a clear vision, being able to see clearly and properly what it is that is happening in the world around you, what is happening within you, what is happening in your life and in the church. And so, since on inside, I have four different texts sitting in front of me, three books. There's actually a Bible, a Liturgy of the Hours, and a book that is called Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. I'm going to be reading from each of these, and then my fourth text came in the form of a text. Well, it's actually a uh, picture, a digital picture of a text that someone texted to me. (laughs) Is that all clear? And uh, I have some stories to share along the way about what happens when the Lord shows up in your life. So my daughter, Mary Grace, I drove her to the airport yesterday. Uh, in order to send her off on to mission. And she's going to be coming to the Northwest and will be in uh, the Puget Sound area as well as in Yakima. And then over here in the Inland Northwest, uh, I'll share with you some folks, some, uh, some of the events that she'll be doing with her team as they go evangelize on college campuses. The events are open to folks. They're not just limited to people on the campuses. But I'll be honest with you, one of the things that I was looking for, watching for, waiting for, hoping for, were those sort of good conversations, right? When your kids hit a certain age and stage in their lives, they can tend to be a bit more private. And Mary Grace has always been more of a private person. 
uh, as our oldest daughter, a little bit more serious, thoughtful, but also very private. And so I've been excited to like share more with her about her faith journey, um, which she is so enthusiastic for and so fervently living out. And I know that it's something that she shares very deeply with her friends, right? With her companions, those that have been on the same journey that she's been on. And I can see how coming back into our home, even just for these short breaks, that uh, it's easy to fall back into old patterns, uh, familiar patterns or (laughs) historical patterns. I know that when I would go home to Boston, when Carrie and I were either dating or in our early years of marriage, uh, it was easy for me to revert to form and become Tommy, the one that my mom would just wait on. She loved to wait on her boys or on any guests as a good Italian mom. Oh, no, no, just sit there. I'll take care of it. What can I get you? And Carrie would just shake her head and just say, I cannot believe how much your mother just waits on you and you let her do it. I'm like, honey, this is how I serve my mom. I just, I serve my mom by letting her serve me. Oh, but my mom delighted in it. She, I, I think she did. Yeah, I, I, she did. She really delighted in serving, especially when it came to food, getting some food, serving, making sure you're comfortable. Anyways, uh, and so my daughter, Mary Grace, coming home, I just had this hunger to say, okay, when's it going to show up? When's it going to show up? The, the chance for us to have a good, like meaningful conversation about spirituality and theology, God and the Catholic faith and all of this. And with the busyness of her schedule and the busyness of our home, it didn't happen while she was here in our home during her stay. Where did it happen? On the ride to the airport. So fascinating and beautiful. It was like Carrie, I, I was talking to Carrie about it, and she's like, You can't force it. You can't just push your way in. You know, you've got to you've got to just kind of put it out there and just wait. You just gotta wait, wait for them to step forward, wait for them to step into the to the you can't just force your way in, they'll just clam up. Well, Mary Grace, she's just she's not gonna go for it if you push in too hard. And so it was something that I longed for, but I had to wait for. And sure enough, driving her to the airport. She just opened up and started asking me all kinds of questions, and we got into these really neat conversations about, well, evangelizing and the necessity of knowing Jesus Christ and heaven and hell and who's saved and um, what about people who have never heard the gospel and what about um, people today who have heard the gospel but, you know, Christians or people in America who have heard the gospel but haven't received Jesus, haven't really opened their lives to accept his salvation and his lordship. And it was just, it was wonderful. And I really, it was just like, I was so happy. But wow, it was it was really something. You know, she was home for almost a month and the conversation that I longed for didn't happen until literally we were driving together on the way to the airport. And I just, I share that with you just as a bit of an encouragement because I know that I talk to parents who say, you know, my kids, when they hit their teen years or as they get older, they maybe uh, will confide less. And that's not everybody, right? For sure. There are some who end up being great, great friends with their teenage children uh, and when their children reach young adulthood, but a lot will turn to their peers, 
they'll, they'll turn to their peers to have the most intimate or deepest, most probing kind of conversations. And it's really them that you want to make sure that as far as you're able to, that they're going to be accessing, uh, you know, uh, sources of information or accessing friends who are thinking with the right mindset, right? With the, with the right perspective on things. And that, that's why I was so excited to have my daughter go off onto mission for, well, right out of high school for a year. And then in the second year doing the same thing, because it's really grounding her whole sense of identity and purpose on earth to be connected to her heavenly purpose. And it's also, again, one of the really beautiful fruits of us moving here is that our teenagers are being more and more surrounded by like-minded kids, like-minded kids, because these like-minded kids are coming from like-minded families, you know, very devout, intentional Catholic families. And so it's it, it can be such a helpful thing. It's such a helpful thing where I can see my kids coming back to us with comments and questions about what movies they should watch or what movies we should watch or how we should spend our time or the language that we use because of the friends they're hanging around with. And so, and, and those friends are coming from families who are, again, very intentional about their faith. So this is a, just a, it's just a, a word of encouragement, parents, that it's, it's important for you to give your kids space and await the opportunity, the manifestation, the epiphany, await the epiphany. But in the meantime, doing what you're able to do to lead and provide and protect your kids by having them be in relationship with good kids. And in, in some ways, that's the, that, that comes around to my, my theme of what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? And it was, it was kind of neat how I um, uh, was sharing about this. Uh, on Friday, Carrie and I talked a bit about this uh, when we, um, we talked about the reality that um, there were some families at this basketball party we were at. And we were sharing with them, this is our word, what are you going to do? And what was neat was, we mentioned on, on this on Friday, um, the coach's wife, uh, Christy, she got home and she actually sent us a text from her devotional for January 2nd. And that was the day of the party. Okay, so I just shared with her, hey, this is our, uh, this is my theme, my word for the year, what are you going to do? And, um, and she went home and read her devotional. And you know what her devotional was for January 2nd, the day when I shared it with her? Will you go out without knowing? And there's a quote from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. He went out knowing not where he went. Have you ever been out in this way? If so, there's no logical statement possible when anyone asks you what you're doing. One of the difficulties in Christian work is the question, what do you expect to do? You do not know what you're going to do. The only thing you know is that God knows what he is doing. Continually revise your attitude toward God and see if it is a going out of everything, trusting in God entirely. It is this attitude that keeps you in perpetual wonder. You do not know what God is going to do next. Each morning you wake, it is to be a going out, building in confidence on God. Take no thought for your life, not for your body. Take no thought for the things which you did take thought before you went out. 
Have you been asking God what he is going to do? He'll never tell you. God does not tell you what he's going to do. He reveals to you who he is. Do you believe in a miracle working God? And you will go out and surrender to him until you're supposed, until you are not surprised at anything he does. Suppose the God is the God you know him to be when you're nearest to him. Let the attitude of the life be a continual going out in dependence upon God, and your life will have an ineffable charm about it, which is so satisfying to Jesus. You have to learn to go out of convictions, out of experience, and until as your faith, as far as your faith is concerned, there's nothing between you and God. I thought that was really neat. Uh, it was a beautiful confirmation, if you will, uh, of saying, what are you going to do? And how this whole sense of you don't know what you're going to do, so you turn to the Lord and, and you don't know what he's going to do. But you know what? He knows what he is about. The Lord knows what he is about. And so for me, that was, um, it was a neat not only confirmation, but it was a use of, uh, if you will, sort of our witness carrying my witness to our faith in front of these folks that we're just getting to know. And, um, and they took an encouragement from it, and they ended up sharing with us um, this scripture as well. So one of the important tasks that we have in our own life of faith is being a light, being a witness, not being, not, you know, putting the light under a bushel basket, but letting our lives be an epiphany a coming out into the open, that which is often hidden. A coming out into the open of that which is often hidden. And that will happen when we're nurturing that which is hidden. When we let the word of God, when we let the Lord Jesus Christ, who is word, who is Eucharist, come and dwell within us. We become transformed by his word and by the Eucharist into his very life. And that's something that can have a profound effect on you, and it can have a profound effect on prayer. And it's something that happened to me. It really is related to a scripture passage that comes from Wednesday night prayer. It's not only said there in the Liturgy of the Hours, but Wednesday night prayer. It says this. This is from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Oh, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleading. And then it goes on from there. But let me just read that one more time. Because I saw this scripture. There was an epiphany related to this scripture passage. How this word became for me a living word when I was praying the other night. Psalm 130 in night prayer, it has a title, and the title is A Cry from the Depths. A Cry from the Depths. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. O let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleading. Have you ever prayed like that? Well, what would it look like? What would an epiphany, what would a manifestation of that word show up like in your prayer time? Well, I want to share with you what showed up in my prayer just a few days ago. 
And again, it's going to be a little bit, a little bit of humbling, but I feel called to share it with you in just a minute on Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Dr. Tom Curran, and I'm going to share with you about something that happened to me when I was praying. This doesn't happen often. I think it's only happened, in fact, a few times in, well, as long as I've been praying. And it it's the way in which a word came alive. You know, one of these principles that uh, you'll find in our Catholic spiritual tradition, our, our tradition of prayer in, in our Catholic faith, is that the word of God is a living word and it takes root in our hearts. And our hearts will grow in union with the very heart of Christ so that the attitudes, the affections, the, the very love in the beating heart of the sacred heart of Jesus will become manifest, epiphany, will, will show up in our hearts. And so... When you imagine the sacred heart of Jesus, again, crowned with thorns to show the crucifying love of the passion in the heart of Christ, the flame with the cross over the heart, the wound, the vulnerability of the heart, even to let that shed blood pour forth, his very life poured out for us. That's the heart of Jesus. When we welcome the Lord into our hearts, into our souls, into our bodies, when we receive Holy Communion, you do realize that we are receiving the sacred heart of Jesus, the the glorified risen Lord. His heart comes to dwell in ours in a more intimate, profound, and even, yes, intense union. Well, that will have an effect. That will have an impact when his heart begins to beat within ours and our heart begins to beat within his, there will be a manifestation, an epiphany, a showing up of what is at the depths of our heart, speaking to his heart, speaking, if you will, from his heart of love. Well, I'm not saying that's exactly what happened when I was praying the other night, but the passage I quoted just before the break, Out of the Depths I Cry to You, O Lord, Lord, Hear My Voice, it was something that I experienced when I sat down to pray. I've started to make it a daily um, ritual, custom. Uh, typically, I've been praying early in the morning, the first thing, as my um, primary prayer time. But I've been adding in time in the evening, last thing, um, some quiet time after everyone's in bed, just to take some quiet prayer time at night, and the prayers I've been praying at night have come from this book I mentioned last week called Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. And it's published by Census 
Traditionis Press. Sensus, S-E-N-S-U-S. Traditionis. Think of the word tradition and then I-S at the end. Press. And uh, it's, it's, it's a gathering of prayers for use by the laity. And it was just um, published last year, uh, well, in May of 2018. And it is a powerful, powerful book of prayers. Praying prayers of spiritual warfare, you know, that idea that we're in a battle and that we are called to undertake this battle using spiritual weapons. And I, you've heard me talk about the theme of of um, binding and loosing as connected with the authority that is ours. This book has really helped me shape and mold that. And so I prayed um, principally these deliverance prayers, these prayers that bind and cast away, not only from my life, but from the life, the lives of all those over whom I have authority um, spiritually. So my wife and my children, and then family members, my siblings, I can pray with authority. I can pray with authority that comes from my baptism and that comes from the relationships that God has established in my life. And, and so when I pray these prayers, not just for deliverance, but there's a third section, prayers of, for healing. There's a way in which I will make these prayers, not just praying for myself, but I'll pray for each of my loved ones. And this is where this connects me to the Psalm 130, a cry from the depths, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, because when I pray these prayers for healing, something happened. I just got through the first, the second sentence, and I had to stop speaking because something just welled up inside of me, and it was like a dam bursting a little at first, and then it just, it was, I don't want to say crying, it was weeping. There was a, a just like this surge of just a weeping before the Lord. And it was really, it was before, I, I pray these prayers before the enthroned pictures of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And so I'm very conscious and intentional about my sitting before them, lighting a candle, blessing myself, having a rosary, knowing that I'm undertaking an act of spiritual battle where I am leading and providing and protecting my family. And so here I am, and I just was equipped. And as I started to pray this prayer for healing, and I'm going to pray it. I want you to hear it. Um, it just, I just started to weep and it was so, it wasn't, I wasn't sad when I started my prayer. It was like, I was like, you know, armored, ready to go, ready to fight the battle. And just when I, like I entered into my heart, there was something that came forth from my heart for my kids. It wasn't just reading a prayer. It was something that was deep and real in there. It was an epiphany. It was a grace. It was a graced epiphany of the Lord at work in my heart making me like experience the prayer from the heart. This was a, a real praying from the heart. And so, again, I share this with you, even as I share this prayer, to encourage you to be open to the Lord and to his heart, this most sacred heart of Jesus, this most compassionate of hearts, that he lives in you. And what I remember so striking about this heart that was emerging in me was that my attention had been drawn to the immaculate heart of mary 
and that I was looking to her to be a mother. And that phrase that comes from Our Lady of Guadalupe that has become so prominent in my relationship with Mary, am I not here who am your mother? Will I not take care of your dear one? Um, she, she was referring to Juan Diego's uncle, but in in my instance, it's, it's all of those that I carry under that um, umbrella of authority. Just, Mother Mary, you're, you're open, immaculate heart. You're going to take care of us, and you're going to present us into the heart of Jesus. It was, became very real. It was very beautiful. So let me share this with you. So the, the, here's, here's how the prayer reads, just the first sentence. Uh, it says, the first two sentences, Lord Jesus, you came to heal our wounded and troubled hearts. I beg you to heal the torments that cause anxiety in my heart. Let me read it again. Lord Jesus, you came to heal our wounded and troubled hearts. I beg you to heal the torments that cause anxiety in my heart. Now, when I pray that prayer, praying it with this sense of I've been granted this grace of authority to be able to pray with authority in these relationships that I don't just say, I beg thee to heal the torments that cause anxiety in my heart, but I'll also say in Carrie's heart, in Mary Grace's heart, in Anne Marie's heart, in Mary Catherine's heart. I go through each of my kids by name and my siblings and I, I, again, the way that I do this, it's very traditional, is I'll have them in mind so that it's not just saying a list. It's not just reading through a list. But there's an intention. In other words, to intend means to tend towards a goal. And it's because the idea is in your mind. And so I hold the idea of that person in my mind and in my imagination. I imagine them. I can see them. And as I lift them before the Lord, as I put them into our Blessed Mother's Immaculate Heart and, and see her entrusting them into the heart of Jesus, there's something very personal. There's something very real that's happening there. It's going from my intention into reality. And so praying that way, again, I couldn't even get beyond the second sentence. And then this just surge came up. And it, it was as if it was as if I, I was carrying a very heavy burden, a very heavy burden as the leader and provider and protector of my wife and my children and praying for these same kind of blessings with authority in the life of my dad and my siblings that there is a burden that maybe we don't always realize we're carrying. There can be a real heaviness, again, an anxiety and a torment and just these realities that weigh us down. And so that's what I was carrying. And, and that's what, well, the Lord just revealed to me in this epiphany, in this epiphany. And so what I'd like to do is I want to pray this prayer for you. I say I pray for you. Now I am actually going to pray for you right here, <laughs> right on the radio. I want to pray this beautiful prayer for healing and if there's time, I'm going to actually pray one of the prayers for deliverance as well, just to give you a sense of encouragement that this is a book that if you have any sense at all, 
that there is a spiritual warfare going on that is impacting your family, your marriage, your children, their marriages, your grandchildren. This is a book that you can pray, but it's it's a um, this is not like a what's the word? This isn't just a playing games kind of book. This is you're in a battle and you want to be equipped, and this is a weapon for your spiritual warfare. Engage. That's the kind of prayers that you're going to encounter in this deliverance prayers book. Okay, if it's if this is a little bit too much for you, just be blessed by my praying for you and with you right now. And uh, just let this prayer be prayed in your name. Just just give an amen to this prayer for yourself and for those under your authority, which I won't name, right? But I'll just say if you're going to amen the prayer, it'll also be in that same form. And let it be a blessing to you, okay? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, you came to heal our wounded and troubled hearts. I beg you to heal the torments that cause anxiety in my heart and in the hearts of all those who are listening right now and in all those who are under our care as a result of the authority you have granted to us. And so I beg you in a particular way to heal all who are the cause of sin. I beg you to come into our lives and heal us of the psychological harms that struck us in our early years and from the injuries that they have caused throughout our lives. Lord Jesus, you know our burdens. We lay them all on your good shepherd's heart. We beseech you by the merits of the great open wound in your heart to heal the small wounds that are in ours. Heal the pain of our memories so that nothing that has happened to us will cause us to remain in pain and anguish, filled with anxiety. Heal, O Lord, all those wounds that have been the cause of all of the evil that is rooted in our lives. We want to forgive all those who have offended us. Look to those inner sores that make us unable to forgive. You who came to forgive the afflicted of heart, please heal our own hearts. Heal, my Lord Jesus, those intimate wounds that cause us physical illness. We offer you our hearts. Accept them, Lord. Purify them. And give us the sentiments of your divine heart. Help us to be meek and humble. Heal us, O Lord, from the pain caused by the death of our loved ones, which is oppressing us. You are the resurrection and the life. Grant us to regain peace and joy in that knowledge. Make us an authentic witness to your resurrection, your victory over sin and death, your living presence among us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer for healing, and I slightly adapted it to make it us. This is a prayer that is a first-person singular prayer, I, me, I. But I prayed it for us, and 
along with you for all of those under our spiritual authority, those over whom we can pray with the blessing of the Lord as having authority. And that's just one of the prayers that's found. There's a few pages of prayers for healing, along with like 20-some-odd pages of um, spiritual warfare prayers of deliverance. And then there's a whole section of devotional prayers as well. So there is a lot going on in this book, this Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity, published by Census Traditionis Press. All right, I'm up against a break. When I come back, more sound insight, and I've got another text to read as well. Please stay tuned. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carr. It's great to be with you today. I was um, reading my scriptures, reading the Bible, and I had gone back to Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, which is, the battle is not yours, but God's. And what I did was was sort of as a way of um, recapitulating, like calling back together, sort of gathering the fruits of that passage that I had prayed a number of times in the course of the year, namely Second Chronicles chapter 20. It was, I went back over it again, and it was was fresh. It was new. It was it was showing that the reality that God's word is a living word, and I read it as a living human being, and so His word strikes me as having a freshness, as a a renewed quality. And what it convicted me of was the need to bring out into the open one more time the insights that come from this chapter for our lives of faith. And I, and I say that because. There are a lot of folks who look around at the state of the church, look around at the state of the world, the state of the country, the state of your state, the state of your family, the state of your own individual life, and you know what? can feel a bit overwhelming, can feel a bit like, what is going on? And Second Chronicles chapter 20, it gives us a very powerful reminder of the importance of of what I refer to as praiseworthy desperation. Praiseworthy desperation. You remember that uh, praiseworthy self-abasement is a definition of humility. It's lowering yourself to self-abasement, to, to lower oneself in a praiseworthy way. Is because, as you know, it's not a guarantee that when you lower yourself, it's going to be done in a praiseworthy way. We can lower ourselves in a way that just tear ourselves down. But if you lower yourself in a praiseworthy way, as you lower yourself, God lifts you up. And so, also, there's a way to be desperate that is just leads to despair, that just tears you down, that leads to um, a sense of being utterly trapped and lost. But there's a way of being desperate before God that is praiseworthy because it becomes the open door for God's power to move in extraordinary ways. And this is what we see lived out in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And so just to walk you through it really quickly, you have Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. Here he is in Jerusalem. He is uh, uh, faced with three armies, three peoples who are marching against him. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them, the Meunites. They unite together to fight against Jehoshaphat. 
And so Jehoshaphat receives this message that a great multitude is coming against you from across the sea, and they've already arrived in Hazon Tamar, Hazazon Tamar, in, in the Injedi. Well, it says that Jehoshaphat was frightened. So that's, he was overwhelmed. This was like, this was scary. And again, I just think about how many of you are in situations that you're just like, there is something coming against me, coming against my finances, coming against my health, coming against my kids, coming against my grandchildren, coming against my church. It's just too much. So, but when he's frightened, what does he do? He hastens to consult the Lord. So with that fear, with that recognition of the overwhelming situation that's facing him, what does he do? He goes and consults the Lord. And then what does he do? He proclaims a fast for all Judah. And I find that so striking. He proclaims a fast for all Judah. Because, you know, if you're going to fast, what are you going to be? You're going to be hungry. You're going to probably get more tired. You're going to not have a lot of energy to be able to fight a battle or to train for battle. So from a human standpoint, at this point, proclaiming a fast doesn't necessarily seem like a very wise thing to do. But from the standpoint of being, uh, from having a sense of praiseworthy desperation, no, no. That is exactly a way to express this reality that our hope is in God, that we are expressing through fasting that we don't have the strength, that in fact fasting becomes a weapon of the powerless. And so we're acknowledging our powerlessness through fasting. So he proclaims a fast for all Judah, and then Judah gathered to seek help from the Lord. From every one of the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And so they gather, and what do they do? Let's look to God for help. We, we know we're overwhelmed. We know this is too much for us. Let's turn to the Lord. Now, this is a king doing this, right? This is a guy who has, what, prestige, power. He's got fame. He's got wealth. He's got people at his command. He's got everything, right? But what does he see? He is not going to remain proud or arrogant or stubborn. No, he's going to seek God. He's going to fast. He's going to call everyone else to do that. So he's leading the way in this act of praiseworthy desperation. And so what happens? He stands up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. So he's right in the holy place. Uh, and, And he calls upon God. Lord God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And your hand is power and might, and no one can withstand you. And so he, in this prayer, is reminding the people and himself, and oh, by the way, he's telling God, (laughs) you're God of creation, and you're God of history. You're God of all the nations, and you've been God of us. You've been our God. And you have faithfully walked with us, accompanied us in every battle. When evil comes upon us, the sword of judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you. For your name is in this house and we will cry out to you in our affliction. And you will hear and save. 
Remember I began today's program with out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your voice be attentive to the voice of my pleading. Yeah, there are a lot of times in our lives where we'll be faced with situations where we will cry out to the Lord in our affliction. And this is exactly their situation. What does he go on to say in verse 12? We are powerless before this vast multitude that comes against us. We are at a loss what to do. Hence, our eyes are turned to you. What does he announce? He announces we're powerless, we're at a loss, and so we look to you, O God. That is praiseworthy desperation. A lot of people, when they are feeling powerless or experiencing powerlessness in the face of this tidal wave, this tsunami of an enemy coming against them or their loved ones or the situation they're facing, and they're at a loss what to do, it's easy to just clam up, to to become numb, to ignore it, to avoid it, to run away from it, or to literally fall into self-destruction, just fall into a kind of a, a crazed frenzy to just say, I just utterly give up in despair. But that's not what he does. He turns his eyes towards the Lord. And then with all Judah standing before the Lord, everyone, little ones, wives, and their young sons, the Spirit of the Lord came, came upon Jehaziel. And it goes on to identify who he is, one of the prophets. And it doesn't say when, it doesn't say how long, it doesn't say that as soon as they were done praying. No, they are in a powerless position before the Lord as well regarding how the Lord is going to answer, the way the Lord will answer, when the Lord will answer, through whom the Lord will answer. Well, it's through this particular Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the clan of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And this is when he says, Listen, all of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, and King Jehoshaphat, the Lord says to you, Do not fear or lose heart at the sight of this vast multitude. Do not fear or lose heart at the sight of this vast multitude. Now here it is. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. And that, you know, you see two things here. You see the attitude that the Lord is asking for from the inhabitants. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. You, you are in a situation where you're powerless, where you're at a loss, but you're doing the right thing. You're turning to me. You're crying out to me. You're approaching me with praiseworthy, praiseworthy desperation because you are recalling my faithfulness and my power and my ability to do things that you don't understand because I'm God. I'm the Lord. And you're fasting. You're taking up the weapon of the powerless. You're acknowledging your own powerless uh, condition, and you're looking to the Lord to move with power. And you know what? The Lord is. The Lord re- reveals to them the battle is not yours; it's mine. It's God's battle. And then go down against them tomorrow, and you will see. <laughs> You'll see them coming up. And what happens next? Well, I'll tell you in a minute on Sound Insight. Please stay tuned. Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. So talking about this spiritual concept of praiseworthy desperation, I bring it up not only because it's something that is 
really expressed. There's an epiphany of praiseworthy desperation in Second Chronicles chapter 20, where King Jehoshaphat has three armies coming against him, and he feels at a complete loss, totally powerless, as this enemy is coming towards him. They're going to destroy him from all human standpoints. There's no strategy. There's no resources. There's no plan to put into place from a human standpoint that will be able to take on and be victorious over the onslaught that is coming. And so faced with that kind of situation, what do you do? Well, he's the king of Judah. He is residing in Jerusalem and he turns to God and he expresses his faith in the Lord when he is at a loss from a human standpoint where what he can express is his radical powerlessness and poverty in the face of the power that's coming at him. And honestly, I think that's something that we've lost from view. It's an approach to spiritual warfare that we just frankly don't undertake. I've been doing the work of church ministry and evangelization. I have read (laughs) so many books on evangelization in the church today strategies and plans and visions and techniques and uh, programs and, and all of these, and none of them, none of them have ever utilized the concept of praiseworthy desperation as a spiritual approach to the work of evangelization. And you wonder why, because I don't know how many pastors, priests, bishops, would ever not feel this when you take an eyes wide open look at what it is that's coming against your people, that's coming against your diocese, that's coming against your parish, that's coming against your families, that you would realize that there is no program, (laughs) there are no techniques and plans and practices and oh some secret formula finally somebody figured it out this is what's going to win the battle well you know what the anti-gospel of this moment utilizing the internet media all the streaming services smartphones is just pouring into the kids lives teenagers lives young adults lives families lives today and you see the savaging and the wreckage that's happening all around our families, all around our parishes. We walk into a parish, a typical parish, and we, I'm a 55-year-old guy, I'm going to be one of the younger people in the parish almost always. Not always, not always, not always for sure, but there are very few parishes that have turned the tide and are winning the battle against today's culture. Today's culture is so poisonous to Catholic faith to Catholic living, to a Catholic approach. It's these three peoples coming against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's these three. Here you go. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and the people of Mount Seir. You know who they are? It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's the anti-gospel of the world coming at us in Hollywood and media and the internet. It's the flesh. It's all of the ways that we've just settled for comfort, for material blessings, for ease, for softness, all of that stuff. The pornography just coming against men, just ripping away manhood, manly courage. 
and the devil, the spiritual warfare coming against us, attempting to undermine and overthrow all, overthrow all that is sacred in the church's doctrine, in the church's uh, liturgy, in the, in the church's uh, practices. And I'll tell you, if you don't feel a sense of a complete loss, if you don't just see that you're in an utterly desperate situation, you won't approach it with praiseworthy desperation. You just think, oh, we haven't tried the right program yet. We haven't pushed the right buttons. We haven't hit the right triggers. What we have not done is fallen on our faces before God and fasted and cried out, God, we're at a complete loss. God, we got nothing. We've got nothing. We've got nothing to face what's going on that's coming against us, but we've got you, and we can bring you our nothingness, and we can express our nothingness by standing before you, by seeking you, by crying out, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Lord, let let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleading. O Lord, how long uh, will can we stand uh, until you come, Lord? Right? Why don't we cry out like that? And and keep crying out like that, with that kind of praiseworthy desperation, and until until the Lord responds, we just we won't fast and we won't take up that position of real praiseworthy desperation. We just won't do it, and as a result, we leave God's power on the sideline, and we think that the battle is ours and not God's. And that's sadly, that's just the reality. It's just the reality. I've been around 30, over 30 years now during church work at every level around the world, connected to the Vatican, bishops' conference, bishop, dioceses, parishes. And you know what? I have never heard a talk on praiseworthy desperation, never heard a talk on Second Chronicles chapter 20. Not just that, but that whole attitude of Second Chronicles chapter 20, that whole spirit of groaning before God, groaning in that sense of powerlessness and poverty before the Lord as the attitude to lift up, to uphold, to take up, to witness, to model, to call forth, to initiate, to promote, to proclaim. This is the attitude to take up. This is 2020. This is what to take up. And then, and then, and only then, after living in that position, will the Lord speak to us, don't fear or lose heart. At the sight of this overwhelming multitude, the battle isn't yours, it's mine, it's God's. And now go down and see what I will do. You won't even have to fight in this encounter, the Lord says to Jehoshaphat. Take your places, stand firm. So you do, you gotta show up. You gotta show up. You gotta stand up. You gotta show up for the battle. But you know what? See how the Lord will be with you to deliver you. The Lord will deliver you. Don't fear or lose heart. Go out to meet them, and the Lord will be with you. And what does Jehoshaphat do? He knelt down with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord in worship. That's why we don't see God moving in power, honestly. Honestly, it's, we don't see God moving with power because we are refusing to take up a position of powerlessness. We haven't been driven to our knees, falling on our faces, crying out to the Lord, letting the Lord move with power. And so when they finally do that, they show up the next day and they line up the way that the Lord has said. They hastened out early in the morning. Jehoshaphat stops and says, listen 
to the uh, listen, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, trust in the Lord your God, and you'll be found firm. Trust in His prophets, and you'll succeed. And then they appointed some people to sing to the Lord and to praise His holy appearance. That's the presence of God, the epiphany, the presence of God that went before them into battle. And what happens? They cry out, give thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. His mercy, not his justice, his mercy, meaning his favor. The Israelites aren't getting what they deserve. They're getting the Lord's favor. And what happens as they're doing this? The Lord lays an ambush against the Ammonites, Moabites, and those of Mount Seir who are coming against Judah, coming against God's people, so they were vanquished. How does it happen? How does this overwhelming set of three armies coming against Judah, coming against God's people, how do they get vanquished? Well, the Ammonites and Moabites set upon the inhabitants of Mount Seir. Can you imagine? You got three peoples, and they're going to crush this tiny little kingdom of Judah, and they're going to be able to get all of the plunder, right? All of that plunder for themselves. And they're like, why should we include this third pimsqueak of a, of a nation with us? Let's crush that nation, and let's just split it between the two of us. So that's what they do. And then after they had finished destroying the inhabitants of Seir, what did they do? They began to destroy each other. (laughs) Evil will outdo itself, will undo itself, will destroy itself. But it'll only do it if we make room for God and fight this as a spiritual battle. All the investigative reporting, all the uncovering of trickery and deceit, of cowardiceness and cover-ups, these things can have a part to play. But at the end of the day, eternity will reveal it. The real battle that will be unveiled in these years, the victory of the Immaculate Heart of our Blessed Mother that's coming, this whole reign, this is going to come through people fasting and praying, through people being praiseworthy, desperate in a praiseworthy way. That's what's going to win the battle. So not all of us are going to be able to do visible things, make memorable speeches, but you know what? We can all be desperate in a praiseworthy way. We can all fast. We can all cry out to God. And when we do that, we will be right on the front lines of battle and God will show up and we'll win the victory. Thanks so much for being with me. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.